And as we continue in our series today, we're going to be looking at the look of faith. Have you ever wondered what faith looks like? I mean, can you spot it visually? Is it possible for faith to have a certain swag to it? Does faith give a certain glow to one's face? Kind of like, oh, you're expecting? You have a glow. Can faith be spotted visually? Is faith always a joyful thing? Can faith come drenched in tears? Can faith bring a smile to one's faith, to one's face? <laughs> I would propose to you this morning that for the most part, you cannot determine faith by appearance alone. There's not a certain look, there's not a certain swag, there's not a certain glow that characterizes faith. And that is why we see all of these different characters in Hebrews 11 that are so different, but yet inherent in their actions is that which characterizes faith. There's not one set mold of what faith looks like in an individual's life. That's why today I title what we are looking at the look of of faith. The reason is that while appearance isn't usually the best way to determine faith or lack thereof, there is still a definite look that faith possesses. This look, as we have already seen throughout this series, this look is evident not through features or facial expressions, it is evident through words and actions. That is how we can see and observe faith. Therefore, we don't look on the appearance, we look at, as Jesus says, what flows out of the heart. Because what flows out of the heart is that which characterizes faith. And we're going to turn our attention this morning to three specific individuals before we partake of the Lord's Supper. And these three individuals are Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Let's read together verses 20 to 22. It says, By faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. What I'm going to propose to you this morning is that these three individuals in these three individuals, you could see the look of faith. It was not because they were, they were all related that 
Isaac was the son of Abraham, and Jacob was the son of Isaac, and Joseph was one of the younger sons of Jacob. Had nothing to do with, with uh, uh, genes. It had nothing to do with DNA. It had everything to do with their hearts. And as we have, have pinpointed throughout this entire series, what is the key theme that runs through this whole chapter? I'll help you. I'll, we'll put it on the overhead. We'll give you a cheat sheet. Not even a fill in the blank. How's that? What, let's read it together. A faith that testifies is a faith in action. A faith that testifies is a faith in action. What is the look of faith? The look of faith can really be summarized in two things. The look of faith is a look that is always forward. It's forward-looking. If you want to be an individual that is characterized by faith, you will always be forward-looking. And secondly, the look of faith involves that which is not forgetful of God's promises. Faith is always forward-looking, and faith is not forgetful of God's promises. We see that in these three individuals' lives, and we're going to talk about that this morning. Let's pray. Lord, would you guide our time together around your word? Father, would you teach us from the Scriptures? Father, would you show us where we may claim to have faith, and yet our actions, our hearts, are deceiving us. Lord, would you help us to realign our perspectives with a faith that is not looking backwards, it is not looking simply at the present, the momentary things of this world, but it is forward-looking. And in being forward-looking, we also look backwards not forgetting the promises that you have given us through your word. Father, would you speak to our hearts? Would you teach us as you are the master teacher? Would the Holy Spirit enlighten our understanding, our minds? Father, if there are individuals here today that do not know you as their Savior, would today be the day that they turn from their sin, they look to the one and only Rescuer, Jesus Christ, and the great sacrifice that He has accomplished on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. The look of faith is always forward-looking. We see in verse 20, the example of Isaac. Isaac's faith. Last week we spent a good deal of time looking at the story of Abraham and Isaac. As we talked about, Abraham goes up to the mountain, to Mount Moriah, alone with Isaac, ready to slay his son. Isaac himself had a faith. His faith was actually birthed in promise. When Isaac came into this world, he himself was a byproduct of God's promise to Abraham. That God says, 
I will give you a son. In fact, Genesis 21, if you want to turn back to Genesis, keep a marker in Hebrews. We're going to be flipping back and forth uh, as we've done throughout this series. I want to warn you today, um, up to this point, we've gone through some highlights from Genesis 1 to 22 throughout this series with the characters we've looked at. Today we're doing t- chapter 22 to 50. <laughs> In Genesis 21, we see this faith that is birthed in promise. In chapter 21, verse 1, it says, The Lord visited Sarah as He had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as He had promised. You notice two things right there, don't you? God always fulfills His promises. The Lord visited Sarah just as He said He would. The Lord did to Sarah just as He had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. At last, after all of these years of waiting, the promise had come. And then we see in chapter 22, the very next chapter, right after Abraham uh, and Sarah have this child, the very next chapter, God is calling Abraham to sacrifice this child of promise. You see, characteristic of Isaac's life was the surrounding circumstances of God's promise and God's testing like we talked about last week. Imagine at such a young age how that would have impacted Isaac's thinking and perspective to have almost died on the altar. And then at the last minute, God to provide a lamb. Imagine the impact that this is to have on our minds who we were on the altar having to be judged for our sins. And at the exact time, God sends His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to take the curse of the law for us. You see, we're no different than Isaac. We, our faith has been birthed in promise. We have been given new life through Jesus. That when we are to stand condemned, there is a sheep in the thicket, a lamb in the thicket, the perfect lamb. And while God was willing and desirous to spare Abraham's one and only son, he himself would give his one and only son. He would not withhold from his people. How is that to impact our thinking and our lives? We have a faith that is birthed in promise no different than Isaac. In fact, in a greater sense because we see what Christ has done for us. This faith of Isaac, of which we read of in verse 20, 
Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau, what we see here is Isaac, the end of his life. And the detail that the author of Hebrews does not get into because he doesn't need to get into this, but what we want to highlight briefly, briefly is not only was Abraham's faith birthed in promise, he himself, when he was born into this world, it was an act of God's promise. But he himself lived out a life of faith. He was called to live a life of faith just like we are called today. You see, we don't leave faith at the doorway of our salvation. We don't say, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm trusting you for everything, for my eternal security. I want to turn from my sin. I want to, to come to you as my rescuer. And then the rest of our life is no longer a life of faith. No, our, li- our Christian life is a life of faith from start to finish. Look at the examples we have in Genesis, just a few examples of where Isaac was called to live a life of faith in God's provision and promises. Genesis 24, we read of of Isaac's sacrifice where he was delivered in, in chapter 22. In chapter 23, we read that Sarah dies And in chapter 24, Isaac is continuing to grow. He's getting older, and it comes time for him to marry. But the problem is, is that he needed a wife. There was no one to marry. Abraham did not want Isaac to marry the Canaanite women in the land which they were dwelling in. He sends his servant back to his family, his relatives, The servant goes in faith. Look at what it says in verse 27 of chapter 24. God answers his prayer and shows him the proper girl that he is to bring back to Isaac. And he says, and and the servant says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, boy, this is key, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. We see God continuing to be faithful to his promises. Not only does God provide Isaac a wife, But we read just in the next chapter that his wife, Rebecca, is childless. And in chapter 25, verse 21, we read of Isaac's prayer. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer. And Rebecca, his wife, conceived. You see again God working and allowing troublesome times to come into Isaac's life to exercise his faith. Remember we talked about last week, we can't just say we have a heart of faith. That faith has to be exercised. Just like your bodies, in order to be healthy, you can't just say, yeah, I have muscle underneath my skin. That muscle needs to be exercised to be healthy. 
We see God doing this, and we see through this problem, just like Abraham and Sarah had, of not being able to bear a child. Again, this is a result of of the curse of sin that Adam and Eve brought into this world. And God says, because of your sin, there will be pain in childbearing. There will be difficulty in childbearing. A part of that curse uh, we see from, from the story, not only of Abraham and Sarah, but now Isaac and Rebekah, that there would be the difficulty of even having children. And the question that, that, that goes into the mind of the careful reader of Genesis is how is God's promise of a seed and of nations going to continue if all of these women are childless and they're struggling? But God once again steps into the picture. As Isaac looks to his Yahweh God and he prays, And God grants this request. We read also that God was quick to reiterate the promises that He had given to Abraham. Look over at Genesis chapter 26. Abraham, or excuse me, Isaac was tempted to go into Egypt. Chapter 26, verse 1 says, There was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Doesn't that sound familiar again? Sojourn in this land and I will be with you. I will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Here we see God reiterating these promises that he had given to his father Abraham. That even though Isaac was born, he was but the initial installment to God's promises. His plan was not yet complete. But he says, nothing has changed, Isaac. The same promises that I gave your father, I am giving to you. And boy, there are so many applications that we can take from this. We don't have time to go into all of them, but one of them is that that faith must be a personalized faith. Parents, are you training your children to walk in the ways of the Lord through not just your words, but through your actions. Because when they leave your home, suddenly their faith or their lack thereof is their own. And that's why we have so many individuals that leave the church, they go to colleges, they, they, they uh, get jobs, And they abandon the faith. It's not that they've truly abandoned the faith. It's that they've never had the faith. 
Maybe today you are at a point in your life where you have recently left the nest, so to speak, or you are preparing to leave the nest. Can I ask you, have you personalized that faith which has been entrusted to you? The way we personalize that faith is that we cling to it and God brings us through troublesome times and we claim the promises of God not just for our parents but for ourselves. That is not just the the promise that God gave my parents and that they've kind of talked to me about. No, that is a promise that God has given me. We again see that, that God reiterates the promises that He gave to Abraham to Isaac at the end of chapter 26 in verses 23 to 25. It says, The Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. Again, we see not only the legacy of characterizing faith, not that Abraham was perfect, but he obeyed the voice of God. And God uses that in his son Isaac's life. Parents, let us not be an example not that any of us are perfect, but let us, not, let us strive to not be the example of God saying, despite what you've seen, walk in my ways. Despite the lack of faith that you have seen exercised in your home, despite the misplaced priorities, despite the putting God below other things, walk in my ways. Listen, let us seek to be imperfect and to openly acknowledge that imperfection to our children. But let us seek to be examples of walking in that faith that God has given. This was a faith that was birthed in promise, a faith lived out in life, and this was also a faith that was manifested in Isaac's death. Chapter 27 of Genesis is so interesting. Isaac is old. He's blind, almost. He has his two sons, Isaac, or he has his two sons, Jacob and Esau. We're going to go through so many names this morning, it's confusing. Isaac, of course, favors Esau. Esau's a man of of the outdoors. Rebekah favors uh, Jacob. He's more, likes to cook likes to stay at home, likes to work within the house. And that's okay because there's no stereotypical man or stereotypical woman. God makes individuals unique. And it's so interesting that at Isaac's death, which is portrayed for us as an example of faith in the book of Hebrews, what we see is a faith amidst chaos. Remember we talked about 
God's promises are given amidst the chaos of the curse in Genesis 3.15. Here we have an example of faith amidst chaos. The family is dysfunctional. And Rebecca, the mother, actually counsels Jacob to deceive in order to get the blessing of the birthright, the blessing upon, upon Isaac's death. But we see the promise that Jacob give, or that Isaac gives to Jacob in verses 27 to 29. And I want you to just notice something. So Jacob comes, he puts uh, fur on himself. I know some, some of you guys you say, I wouldn't need to put any of that, any of that uh, animal hair on me. I, I'm good to go. <laughs> but Jacob did. And it says, so he came near, verse 27, and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's seed our sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you. And blessed be everyone who blesses you. What we see here in Isaac passing down this blessing to Jacob is a literal passing down of the promises that God gave Abraham and Isaac now down to Jacob. There's the promise of land in verses 27 and 28. That God would bless the fields that, that Jacob would be in. That He would give of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and the plenty of grain and wine. That's a description of the land of Canaan. The promise of land that God had given Abraham and then Isaac. Verse 29, the beginning, is a promise of seed, of offspring. Let people serve you. Nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. And there's the promise of not only being a blessing, but others' blessing at the end of verse 29. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. These are exact things that God had given Abraham and Isaac. And Isaac says, I am old, I am dying, but I have not forgotten the promises of the Lord, even though I am not a full recipient of those yet. And Jacob, I want to give those to you, and you walk in that hope. That is the faith that Hebrews 11:20 is talking about by faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau he even blesses Esau in verses 39 to 40 of Genesis 27 of course you know Esau's mad and he said and Jacob says I've already given the blessing the blessing of inheritance and promise to to your younger brother and Esau begs and says, won't you bless me? And likewise, Isaac gives 
a blessing because he knows the blessing maker. He blesses Esau. That is Isaac and the faith that he exercised. But the author of Hebrews doesn't stop there. He goes on to his son Jacob. Okay, now Jacob receives these blessings from from his father Isaac that God gave him. So how is Jacob going to respond to this? Well, again, interestingly, he fast-forwards to the end of Jacob's life, and he says in verse 21 of Hebrews 11, By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of the staff. Now here's where the story really gets good. Because we know Jacob. I mean, in receiving this promise, faith amidst chaos, God's blessing amidst chaos and sin, Here he tricks his dad, gets this blessing, but again, God has no plan B. This is all according to God's plan. We see, again, in Jacob's faith that there was faith amidst imperfection. We've already seen chapter 27 is a chapter of deceit. In Genesis 30, Jacob, he has to to flee Esau, because Esau says, when my father dies, I am going to kill him. Talk about some brotherly rivalry. I mean, my brothers and I, we used to box, and we only had money for one set of boxing gloves, so the other guy got, got kitchen mittens. <laughs> and, and never did a fight, a family fight, and we have a lot of them on video, on the old camcorders. Never did one end like good job. They started out friendly. Once we had a little organ in our house. We have a video that we often watch where I got thrown into that organ by Johnny. (laughs) Had some dysfunction. (laughs) But there was faith amidst this imperfection. He runs and he goes to one of, to Rebecca's father, Laban. And he starts to get some of his own medicine because Laban starts deceiving him. But we see in chapter 30, verses 25 and following, we're not going to take time to look there, but we see some shrewdness on, on Jacob's part where he says, okay, give me spotted cattle. You take the good cattle, I'll take the bad cattle that are spotted. That'll be my pay. And he starts, he starts kind of uh, putting things in the water, and, and he's getting more and more spotted sheep, or spotted cattle, until Laban kind of picks up on, hey, things aren't really going my way, and, and stops that. But Jacob's not a, a great guy. But we see that despite his imperfection, he himself had faith in the promises of God. In Genesis 28 Verses 12 to 17, we see God again gives a reiteration of the promises to Abraham and Isaac. He sees a vision of of the angels ascending and descending a ladder to heaven. And in verse 14, 
we see that he says, Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, the east, the north, the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. Remember, he's outside the land. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, bring you back to the land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Folks, when, when God seems distant, when you're going through trials and it seems like you don't know which way is up, which way is down, do you remember the promise that God gives His children? For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. We're not talking here about promises to make everything conform to our wishes or the way we expect them to. But I will complete the work I started in you. A New Testament equivalent to this promise is faithful is He who called you who also will do it. That we are His workmanship. That He will perform the work He started in us until the day of Jesus. You see, God is not content for for Jacob to just go on what Abraham said or what Jacob said. No, God comes to, or what Isaac said, God comes to Jacob Himself just as He did His grandfather and father. In Genesis 32, we see Jacob wrestling with the Lord. And while again we see a picture of Jacob's stubbornness, we also see God blessing Jacob and changing his name to Israel. Genesis 35, we see again God reiterates his promises, verses 9 to 15. Verse 10, God said, your name, is, your name is Jacob, no longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Verse 11, God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. Boy, does that command sound familiar from Genesis 2? A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Again, promises reiterated. Folks, this is when the Bible comes alive to us when we're reading it and when we're studying it for our devotions and for our own personal uh, deeper understanding of Scriptures. When we truly trace what's going on in the storyline of Scripture and we see how God continually moves His plan forward. And not only do we see this faith amidst imperfection, this faith in the promises of God, but again, faith amidst chaos. I mean, again, talk about family dysfunction. What about Jacob's children? They throw Joseph in a pit. His children deceive him and rip up his his cloak and say, is this your sons? In other words, they didn't write out lie. Look, look, your son got tore up by an animal. They dip it in blood, rip it up and say, is this your sons? Is this Joseph's? And allow 
allow Jacob to connect the dots. Could God possibly fulfill his promises through such dysfunction? Humanistically speaking, I would say no. Can God actually perform his plans and purposes in our lives even though we stumble and fail so much of the time and there is such dysfunction in our life? Humanistically speaking, we would say no. But we have a God who is faithful. Amen? As we remember the elements of the Lord's Supper, it is a reminder that we have a God who is faithful, who will not withhold what is most precious to himself to fulfill his plans and purposes. As the story goes, of course you know, Joseph is exalted in Egypt. His brothers find out who he really is, and Joseph says, go get dad, go get the family, come on in to Egypt. And here we see that faith, as Hebrews talks about, is manifested at death. In chapters 48 to 49, that is what the book, uh, that is what Hebrews 11 is referring to, and the end of chapter 47 And I just want to point out one blessing we see in chapter 49, verses 9 to 12. Jacob, in faith, highlights the tribe of Judah. And he says, Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, the nations. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Here we have an ultimate prophecy that from Judah will come not simply David, but the greater David, Jesus Christ, who will rule over every nation, tongue, and tribe. This was a prophecy of faith. And, at the, and Hebrews 11, at the end of verse 21, we also see it was a worshipful faith. He bowed in worship over the head of his staff. He was old. He was decrepit. As he gives these promises, my goodness, a frail body, but a strong faith. My prayer for my life amidst all of my frailties and imperfections, which there are many, many, is that at the end of my life, I will be able to look back and to look forward and to have that kind of faith. You see, faith is always forward-looking. Listen, if you are near retirement, if you are past retirement, you're in your 70s, 80s, and above, 
please don't think that it is time to check out spiritually. That it is time to check out in your service for the Lord. Please don't think, you know what, I've had my time, I've had my days, and now the younger people can serve Him. You know, I've been used by the Lord in the past when I had energy and strength, but you know, now I'm getting ready to to go off into eternity. What we see from Hebrews 11, 20-22, is that your greatest works... It may not be the way God used you previously in doing this and doing that, but it is instilling a legacy into those that will follow you that is highlighted as many times greater than anything else you will do in your life. Are you looking forward Not just to to being with the Lord and and away from, from this decrepit, failing body, although that is wondrous. But are you looking forward with how can God use me in the life of others until I breathe my last breath? A faith that is truly an active faith is looking forward. The look of faith is one that looks ahead. And secondly and quickly as we close, a faith that is active, the look of faith involves a faith that is not forgetful of God's promises. Jacob wasn't forgetful, Isaac wasn't forgetful, but then in verse 22 we see Joseph. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. If you just read that without any context, you just, it's tempting to gloss over it. Okay, that's, that's great. But listen, Joseph's perspective is amazing. It's amazing. Why is it amazing? I want to give you three reasons. Joseph's perspective was amazing, number one, because he never forgot God's words of promise, even amidst the great trials he went through. The guy was in a prison in Egypt for 13 years, thought he was forgotten by everybody for doing what's right. It wasn't like Jacob where he deceived and then he had to go run away. No, he, he did what was right. He fled temptation. He, he was trying to do what's right in his family, and he gets thrown in a pit. Yet instilled in that young teenager's mind, you can imagine, were the stories and the promises that God gave Jacob and Jacob passed down to his children. Again, the emphasis of impacting Our children, if we don't have children, those around us. And I wonder how many times Joseph in that lonely prison rehearsed those things that God said, or that uh, Jacob said and told him, those dreams that he had that he knew were from God. And then he looked at his present circumstances. And despite all of that, he never forgot God's words. Number two, 
Joseph's perspective is amazing because he never forgot God's words. Not only amidst such extreme trials, he never forgot God's words amidst great blessing. I mean, man, the guy was promoted to second in command in Egypt. How easy it would have been to say, man, I have made it. I'm content with this to be the fulfillment of the dream that God gave me of of the moon, the stars uh, bowing down to me and and the, the grains. But he would not forget God's word as we will see with Moses next week. And thirdly, his perspective is amazing because he was not content to be characterized as earthly royalty. Folks, this world is not our home. Like what Tom Schreiner says, he says, even though Joseph was a ruler in Egypt, he recognized that he was an exile, that his true home was Canaan. So too, the reader should recognize that their true home is the heavenly city. And like Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, they should trust God's promises even in death. You see, Joseph knew that the promise would one day be reality. That is why at the end of verse 22, he says he makes mention of the Exodus. How does he make mention of the Exodus? He tells his family, when I die, when God fulfills his promise that he gave Abraham back in Genesis 15, hundreds of years before, that the people would be in Egypt for a while and God would bring them back to the land. When God does this, because I know he will, you bring my bones with you. Bury me in the land of promise because this land is not my home. Despite all those riches, despite all of that prestige, he realizes Egypt was not his home. Do you realize that this morning? As we close, can I ask you, what are you trusting in? Have you been trying to manufacture a certain look of faith by looking good here at church? By being a spiritual leader here at church? By by teaching a Sunday school class? By serving on the trustee team? Whatever it may be. And you're trying to look like you have faith. But inside, man, You are cowering in fear, afraid to grasp the promises of God. What are you trusting in? And secondly, what legacy are you leaving? You know, I find funerals so interesting. See, funerals, we often... And with good reason, we, we focus on the life of the individual. And that's good, you know, remember when so-and-so did this and, and remember this happening and, and we share about our, the, the life of the one who's passed on and that is good and that is healthy. But I find funerals interesting. I don't know if this has ever passed your mind, but have you ever noticed that everyone is described as so great at a funeral? Have you ever noticed that an individual, I mean, man, they could be uh, 
they could be, have so many flaws and rub people the wrong way in so many different ways, but it's kind of like all of a sudden we forget about that. Or we, we make light of it. We make a joke and, and, you know, we're talking positively and people laugh because, you know, they know those stories we share of, of those hints we give out of, yeah, we remember, you know, this thing they did or said and, yeah, that was really uncalled for. But I just find it interesting that unlike most funeral eulogies, we see in this passage that Hebrews, that the author of Hebrews focuses on the end of life. You see, listen, if I die, and I think I've said this to Rachel before, said, if I die, please don't have people just say, I was this wonderful this or this wonderful that. You know what would be the biggest testimony for my children, my wife, to say, you know what? He had a lot of flaws. They don't have to mention them. (laughs) But you know what? He was not a perfect dad. He was not a perfect husband. He was not always just chipper and all of the above. But you know what? He walked by faith. And when he fell with God's strength, he got back up. That is the legacy of faith. Are we clinging to the promises of God in our life? A faith that testifies is a faith in action. Let's pray.